Hello and welcome to the Osent Bunker podcast. I am Osent Technical. Kyle Glenn is also here. John from Defense Geek. And this week we have David from Aurora Intel here to talk about, well, a lot of stuff. And um, I, I have been specifically told by John to hold off on uh, talking about Russia until we get some other uh, stuff in here. So uh, I'll, I'll let him start off. Yeah, so this week we are joined by uh, David from Aurora Intel. Um, I think it's fair to say that when I when I started out in the, the open source intelligence Twitter space, um, I think Aurora Intel was one of the first accounts that I followed. Um, so it's been it's been over three years now I've been following you, David, and um, just wanted you to sort of start us off this evening and, and, and just tell us a little bit about yourself and about the account. Well, first of all, cheers for having me. It's uh, great to be here. Um, you know, it's a great community to be to be part of on on Twitter, and you know, meet, speaking and meeting folk like yourself is makes it that little bit extra worthwhile. So yeah, um, when did we start? Twenty eighteen. Um, Adam and I were sitting on on a on a Discord uh, Discord server, and he said he was going to start up a Twitter account, and then I said, "Do you want do you want a hand with it?" And kind of went from there. Um, you know, we we sort of started off small, focusing on predominantly around Israel and Gaza, and then from there we've kind of gone into more of the, I guess, the wider Middle East. And you know, one of the things that we homed in on, especially, was the use of satellite imagery and how that can uh, can help, I guess, give the full picture of an event, um, not just what they say on the ground. You know, as we all know, sometimes what they see on the ground doesn't match the, the stories that they're telling. And since there, we've kind of just gone, I guess, from strength to strength, really, in regards to um, to um, to getting the, the, the info out to the, the public in that respect. Yeah, and that's also been, that's always been a super big thing that I noticed that you guys have done is that really hard focus on satellite imagery and sort of interacting with a situation and interacting with a conflict in a way that sort of is, I guess, this this omniscient sort of presence in the sky of, of being able to analyze things sort of not exactly as they happen with news reports, but slightly after, but in a super deep and um, varied manner, just utilizing that satellite imagery. Um, I, I know, you know, there there aren't as many accounts that focus on that type of um, sort of analysis and, and specifically that type of satellite analysis that you guys are able to put together. That usually isn't a larger news organization. Yeah, and I think the you know the it it's it's built up over time, and I think the 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 key thing is when it, when it's breaking news, it, it's you, you're you're trying to be reactive, and sometimes reacting to breaking news sometimes gives the wrong message in the sense of you know things can get lost in translation, people don't quite understand what's fully going on on the ground and these kind of things, but also that stepping back or when you look at what what actually happened from a satellite imagery point of view it gives you a picture of the before and then also the before the before in the sense of you know you got you're looking at data across months years you know um and fully understanding the full picture and that sometimes gives you more than just what's happening right now on the ground um and you know we've got what i think it's now just over three years you know we're building constantly behind the scenes our our understanding and if we look at like for example the um syria recently with the with the 
reported airstrike against the ports you know you're looking at the understandings of we're in this, so as we call it, the war between wars in the sense of, of Israel and Iran. And you look at the, from the east, you have it coming in through the border from Iraq into into, into Syria. You've got through the, and that's on the roads. And then you've obviously got the planes that we always talk about, the IRGC related planes that come in through the air. And then obviously now we're looking at the, uh, from from the west in that sense, in regards to the 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 shipments on on the vessels and you know there's it's all these looking at the wider picture so it's not just related to the the single event but just what's going on uh, across the wider span and satellite imagery and and also not just satellite imagery but we talk about flight tracking and marine traffic and you know for the for the vessels all these kind of things play play a bigger part to understanding that that bigger picture yeah and if someone say wanted to get into sort of analyzing satellite imagery where do you suggest that they would start Honestly, like I, there's the the place the the place that I started on was 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 Sentinel Hub. You know, Sentinel Hub is a it's great. It's got the the access to the European Space Agency sort of free data and open data. And actually, there's even now commercial data in there as well through through Airbus if you if you're willing to pay for it. But Sentinel Hub's a great place just to play and learn and understand. And looking at that community, if you if you have a look at the Sentinel Hub's Twitter account, you can often see them retweeting and commenting and uh, interacting with users. And I think that's a great place to just start because it, it shows you what the possibilities are, not just from a understanding true color, but to near infrared to understanding how vegetation and, and changes which can um, be shown by fire or, uh, um, you know, our example, airstrikes are another one, you know, and really that's the the first place to go also they've got scripts available to show you how they can manipulate the data on the different bands on the satellite imagery it really is a great resource and also they've got a youtube channel as well where they they teach you how to do i guess in quotations basic um analysis and from there you can really learn quite a lot yeah I, i've typically used sentinel hub at least in the past for i mean mostly boat hunting because that's what at least i'm good at <laughs> um i i rely on the work of others especially you for stuff that's more land-based um but yeah it's definitely i would also say that's a absolutely great place to start they have super easy features to sort of s sort stuff by date by you know a, a general time period of when you want to look at um it's I know a lot of other sites are incredibly hard sort of to navigate. I know um, the uh, Copernicus um, uh, site is very difficult, especially when it comes to sourcing uh, a lot of open source stuff. Um, and then, uh, I mean, the US, we have uh, Earth Explorer, which is just um, horrifying to try to actually get together. Um, it's a... It's, a lot of these platforms are made for much more data-oriented analytics and um, much more of a, a sort of, uh, uh, again, a data-based sort of um, uh, uh, interpretation of um, the imagery. So it's a lot less towards just looking at the images themselves, and that can definitely cause some pain. But Sentinel Hub is, is very much easy to access. Yeah, and I think these these ones that you've used an example there, they've got a they've got a derived use case. You know, if we if we take like firms as an example for the fire um, fire detection, you know, they've got a derived UK use case. So they're they're, they're making a uh, an interface for that single single requirement. As with Sentinel, now it's expanding at rapid paces. 
with new data coming in that's looking at the wider scope and recently they've just brought the the planet labs data in in regards to looking at the the forestry um uh data so they're they're evolving and, and as and when those new things come on they give you something new to learn and, and I guess in quotations play with that's that's what the you know that's how you start right you start off with understanding these things you play and understand and look at how to interpret these things and then you you move forward into the more the analytical piece yeah that's the that's the important thing to remember is that it's a, just the longer that you play with it the more that you're fi you'll figure out what to do that's a big thing is you know experience trumps pretty much everything else um when it comes to looking at satellite imagery when it comes to interpreting satellite imagery um it, it the best thing to do is just have experience and to utilize that experience as best as possible yeah and you know one the one great one is to look back at what other people have found previously over the last few years you know we can we can take that in in any example we can look at the guys who focus on north korea as an example when we're looking at um their missile launches or their new um their new buildings or infrastructure you can look back at what they've done and how they've interpreted it and see what indicators and keys they're looking for again airstrikes in syria or iraq you know um again look at look back at it past analysis again so you can review it they, and that's really how you how i learned these things is to look and understand you know there's experts out there um you know who do this as their job 24 24 7 and you know you can learn a lot from other people and, and the key thing is to be respectful of that is you know as you do learn going forward that you 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 remember that you're not alone in that respect is there are other people out there so you can also ask them for help because it is really a, a team effort in that regards yeah and again the understanding that other people might know more than you is certainly um a skill that a lot of people lack <laughs> but once once you sort of you know but once you sort of get that understanding, it's a lot easier to, you know, process new information and sort of embrace things. And, you know, being able to admit you're wrong is a super important thing that I'll say, you know, I, I've had issues with that in the past. I think everyone has. Um, 100%. Uh, you yeah. know, it's, it, it's, it is, it's different. You know, I've, you know, we all, we all have make mistakes. We're all human, right? Nobody's a, 100% right all the time you know and I've, I've done analysis before posted something and then gone no hold on a second that's not correct and had to retract it and, and I'll apologize for that you know and it's the, the an example of one that's always easy is when there's clouds involved and we're all talking about clouds and I'm sure clouds are going to become a topic shortly when we get on to, to Russia and Ukraine which again is not an area which is not an area I know about so ultimately I'm I uh, I can pitch in to a certain extent, but I'm not going to pretend I know about it because I'll probably be wrong. And you know, it's it's understanding and learning and, and knowing about your field and area that you've that you've built up over time. But clouds, as an example, always create ambiguity, um, and and that that can sometimes lead to to wrong interpretation. And and that's why quite often you'll sometimes see me saying, look, I'm going to wait. For a couple of days to until i fully understand you know and, and i speak to for example kyle quite regularly mostly on a daily basis an example and when i'm looking at things to do with events in the middle east we'll always be pinging backwards and forwards and quite often i will say clouds are a problem you know and and, and well, it's just it's, one it's, of these things you know it's the one nice thing about working with the middle east is that uh clouds may be a problem but they're they're at least a bit less frequent 
I'll tell you what, seeing winter though, honestly, winter's bad. I think it's snowing, if I remember correctly, in Syria today. So that's another thing that you know, it, yeah. it's it, it's. Uh, but no, it's definitely a lot less than there, uh, and for you guys keeping a focus on them um, on Ukraine and Russia, that's for sure. No, it is always really painful when you get like uh, like new imagery of somewhere in Europe you're trying to look at, and then it comes up with like a little symbol of like the cloud symbol and 100% next to it, and you're like, oh god damn it. Like, You've waited a week for like the next imagery, and then it's just completely cloud covered, and it's always really frustrating. Yeah, I've been trying to look at air travel uh, or air traffic, um, especially uh, RAFC seventeen traffic at uh, Kiev's main airport. And yeah, no, it's been one hundred percent cloud covered for the past <laughs> I don't know three or four passes now. So it, it's it's pretty hard to actually you know interpret that imagery when there's you know nothing to see but the tops of some clouds. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one actually when you when when you look at it in the further depths now that we're you know we're slowly sliding into your area on, on the Russia Ukraine which uh, I can is eking in slowly but um in in that respect we always there was I don't know the exact quote and please correct me if I'm wrong but there's always this thing about you you know you don't go you don't you don't go uh, to war in quotations in in in, uh, in winter because of the weather there right and I don't know the exact wording around that but right now a lot of the stuff's hidden right because of the clouds you know um as with over the summertime the weather's maybe better so things are easier to track from from satellite imagery so actually from a in quotations from a secrecy point of view despite tiktok because i've noticed that tiktok has nearly every single russia ukraine video possible at the moment <laughs> you you see less from the sky because of those clouds so it's you know we talk about opsec and, and secrecy but actually, that the, the clouds are currently helping them in that regard. What well, well, I always find quite funny in regards to satellite imagery, and I think it was it might be something you posted recently when it was about um, the, the recent Saudi airstrikes in Yemen, um, when they were expected to target the the stadium, the football stadium or the sports stadium. Yeah, uh, the, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. And then people were insisting that they did, and they destroyed it. And then you were posting like satellite imagery from you know, 12 hours previous, and you were like, nope, it's, it's still there, it's still completely intact. And they were like, no, yeah, sadly, it's wrong, it's photoshopped, it's whatever, it's this, and it's just like, well, look at it yourself, you know, it's free, you can check it. Yeah, I've had, um, I've had one or two, yeah, to be honest with you, I haven't had that many accusations of photoshopping um, in that in that regards, of course, things are enhanced on the imagery to make things appear better when you modify the bands to to remove like glare and so on and so forth. But actually modifying, as in, in the, the real as we call it, photoshopping a, an image, I haven't had that many accusations. And I think that's because you know people who do follow these kind of accounts in the in, in the Austin area realize that Sentinel and these things are free. I think it's honestly sometimes when when it doesn't quite fit that person's narrative or agenda or whatever you whatever terminology you want to use that's when they accuse you of 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 modifying it but i've not to be fair i've i've, I've seen it on other people's um feeds more than than ours i have to say okay and, and correct me if i'm wrong but i'm pretty sure you are in terms of follower numbers you are the largest osin account out there certainly in our particular group that we that we're a part of 
I would have, I would have, I would have technically said, uh, I would have technically said conflicts was, but they're on zero at the moment. So um, yeah, um, it's um, sorry, <laughs> con- controversial there. Controversial. I mean, today. I found um, you know suspect number one right now who took us down. Obviously, who <laughs> 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 <All> benefits? <laughs> yeah. So um, to, so I. I you know, I think I've made this comment multiple times on on the feed or to people in general. The the, the following, the following really wasn't why I I we started this right. I I still feel humbled at the fact that we have over a hundred fo- like just a hundred, not the hundred thousand, but just the hundred followers that actually come to us for information. It's it, and and that kind of drives me more to 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 to, to make sure that I get. You know the, the details correct we used to do around more around the, the the speculation kind of stuff and we still do in that regards when we're asked our opinions but because of that we've kind of adapted to make sure that we get the information correct and right with the analysis and our and our analysis now obviously again we'll go back to the satellite imagery thing if it if that analysis doesn't always agree with someone's uh agenda or, or views of course they're always going to argue with it but we work on that historical data and that understanding of what we've seen in the past to, to make our analysis and it's the, the the figures are are arbitrary right i would do that now you know as we've learned and grown and understood stuff more that um it doesn't it that doesn't really matter in that regard it's about making sure that the the content we're putting out is as is as accurate as possible yeah and and accuracy of content is a super important thing that i think all of us have dealt with in the past um I I know UK Defense Journal's retraction um, and um, correction page is, is fairly long. Um, there's there's a lot in there, but again, as I think George said during the last podcast, you know people react to retractions and and corrections when you do them quickly and you do them honestly in a you know positive manner. Um, people appreciate it, you know. Yeah. Be honest, right? You know, I think George that he, he put up a he put up a tweet. Was it last week? This week? Just gone? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, no, it was this week, wasn't it? In regards to the whole Germany thing and and flight mm-hmm. paths and so on and so forth. And all he, you know, he retreat he retracted it and said, "Look, you know, it is what it is. I made a mistake. I'm sorry." And you know, I would say 95% of the people who were responding to him on Twitter and the, and that were like, "Yeah, cool. We appreciate you being honest. Thank you." And then moved on. It's always there's always unfortunately going to be that those people who see it differently. But you know, that that's just again that's just the way some people are, unfortunately, in that respect. Yeah, and you, you know, I mean, 99% of people react positively to what we do. Um, probably even more than that, 99.9%. And it's important to remember that the ones who don't are all Russian trolls and shouldn't believe them, darn it. <laughs> no, but it's, you know, there, there of course, always will be people who re- react negatively to what you do. Frequently, when people react negatively, they have a reason. Um, and it's usually a good reason. Um, and, and it's important to take those people into mind. But at the same time, um, you know, it, most people... We look at Kyle's situation today with the conflicts account, right? The, the backing that he's he's had from from the community about what you know yeah. why you know why and at the moment we don't have an answer why it's been suspended but the community is there and there's you know there's been some quite you know there's been some i mean 
we all joke and laugh about verified accounts, right? But verified accounts have been backing, it. and these are people from you know, you know, local media like mainstream media who have been getting on the back of it, like Sky News and and BBC, etc. You know, so th there is no, that there jump is, in right there is that information again. for it. Yeah, it's um, it's always it's it's always nice when you finally get some high resolution imagery of an area that you've been having a gander at and you're at, you're unsure of something. I mean, some of them are really obvious, like when the, you know, it's a big black mark, you know, cause it's just, mm -hmm. the, the building's just gone. Um, but obviously there's the more acute ones when it's the, you know, the roof's just been taken off and it's, and that comes down to, you know, this It's interesting when you, you analyze them more, not just from the, the imagery perspective but also the the actions around the potential airstrike is you know we've seen airstrikes where the roof as the roof has been taken off but the building's still intact um and that's by design it's by the bomb damage assessment that's been done by the 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 the, the people conducting the airstrike they know what munition to use be it a gbu 39 or 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 something larger um and it's always interesting when you look at that because you, you can you start to think about how much preparation has gone into these things um if they're just taking a roof off as an example mm -hmm. um you know if we look back at like the the, the gaza israel conflict last year you know there was some there were some drone strikes that were done where they were purely just taking out the wall of the of the of the apartment block or, or flat block or whatever you want to call it you know and then obviously we saw ones where more controversial ones where they took down full buildings and it's um each one has been assessed slightly different and um you look at these details a little bit more when you when you when you're looking at the imagery because it's sometimes you question why they're done in a certain way and of course we don't have the intel right we don't know why certain decisions are made you know we're not affiliated to anybody in that respect so it's just more questions to to ask yourself when you're looking at these things and again question about what you're looking at mm -hmm. yeah and and that is one of the big things is is self-questioning uh you know all the time verifying what you're putting out and you know checking to see if you've messed up i guess that that is an important uh thing to do but yeah again assessment is always difficult that's it's Tracking ships is a bit easier because they're big, but, um, you know, there's there's a lot of stuff, especially when they're in port, you know, things get jumbled. And it's always important to, you know, have maybe a second set of eyes or someone else to sanity check you. Yeah, you know, there's loads of accounts out there that do it. If we talk about ships and vessels, for example, I'm, you know, the, the key one that I've obviously been paying attention to in recent years is tankers. And, you know, you got look at, you got tanker trackers who out phenomenal data and phenomenal information around that area and then if we look at if we're talking about geolocation we all know who samir is right well the account samir on 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 twitter and it's like you know if you want something located it's like give him half an hour and he's found it it doesn't matter where it is in the world it's just like you know and and it's always good to cross-reference against these other other people who have who have that knowledge you know the the community is you know the austin community as we talk about isn't isn't singular you're not alone there are people who are there who have skills and understandings that you may not have and it's important that you recognize that and work and take you know understand and interpret it from other people and you know that makes it better that makes the information more more whole in that regard no this is what i say all the time like um like osint in general is is collaborative you know no one knows everything um 
you know, like you know, you know, and people specialized in like you know, like some like in geolocation, and people like yourselves, you know, do satellite imagery, people, um, you know, like weapons identification, like tank identification, aircraft tracking, aircraft spotting, all these kind of things. Like no one does everything. Well, no one does everything and no one well, shall we say. Like a lot of people do lots of different things. Um, you know, I dabble in a lot of different things, but. I, yeah, you you can't do everything well. You kind of have to specialize um, a certain thing, and that's why you know if you know you have to have a kind of a almost like a little telephone book of people who who you can kind of go to on short notice for you know if you need um, like insight on a specific thing, which is really useful to have. Definitely, no, I agree with that for sure. There's a let's say there's a vast a lot of people in that community and it's about utilizing skills correctly in that regard yeah oh, oh certainly fair to say that um uh, as you mentioned earlier your sort of area of specialty in particular sort of geographically speaking is israel and the middle east um and i was just wondering if you could sort of give us an update on the, the sort of the ongoing situation between israel and iran because I think it's fair to say that with with everything that's been going on in Ukraine in the last few weeks, which which we'll get to shortly, um, it's kind of slipped out of focus. The sort of the ongoing tensions between those two countries over Iran's nuclear program. Yeah, so I, I, conversations are still going on in Vienna, right? And depending on, again, depending on your. I don't know the demographic of uh, of everybody that listens to this, but depending on on your on your personal opinion, you'll either say they're going well or or they're not, right? And it depends on what you read at face value. Those discussions are still are still trickling on in the background. I personal opinion, I, I don't see us I don't see us seeing a deal that is in quotations same or similar to, to to the original jcpoa but you, you you just don't know right you don't know what what's going on and quite often i i sometimes wonder especially when it comes to uh to, to conversations around this or are things put out in the media to try stir a story or to try push a, a narrative or, or a decision you know in that regards and is the media being used to, to to help influence something so that that piece is ongoing and that you know we keep saying we're going to hear, you know, it was back in November, it'll be this, and December it'll be that, and yada, yada, yada. But that's still that's still happening. We've obviously had um, the the exercise earlier on in the year, the Iranian IRGC exercise, um, which showed the, as I call it, the, the fake Demona or the mock Demona getting uh, ultimately obliterated by the, by, by the ballistic missiles um, in that regards. And, you know, that was... A propaganda piece as we we come to, to to love you know in that regards we we see them every time that they do they do a they do an exercise and the propaganda gives you an insight right without without those pieces of of, of propaganda you wouldn't be able to see what's going on in quotations um but then we have the flip side where we also see propaganda coming out of of israel and it's always you know it always talks about preparing to strike iran and and, and all these kind of things and you know there's always a, a tit for tat um, scenario with those two countries when it comes to these propaganda stuff, and and then you you know again depending on pe people's opinions, you'll either say yep Israel will be able to do it, and then vice versa they'll say Israel won't have a hope in hell, and you know it's you always see all this out, so you've got that ongoing, and that's going to continue for until until 
there's a catalyst and the always question is going to be what is that catalyst is the catalyst going to be in syria or is the catalyst going to be in iraq could the catalyst even be in in yemen you know or, or you know there's all these there's all these kind of pieces at, at play and um, we've not had a uh sounds a bit weird but we've not had an airstrike for several weeks now so that's a long time currently for for there not to have been an airstrike in, in, related to supposedly israel because of course israel always go um rather ambiguous when it comes to this but it's been a while since we've had an airstrike in syria and you hear tidbits around is that because there's threats and rumors that iran are now getting to the to the point of retaliation to to, to these airstrikes and we kind of saw that in the latter part of last year where we saw an airstrike in the palmyra region of um of syria against a affiliated irgc sites um and we know they're affiliated because of the media that got released around them but also the the further follow-up to that which was the the drone attack against the al uh garrison on the iraq syria border so you know things are always ticking over and we hear about the the war between the war between wars and, and this this is an ongoing thing and then you know in this week earlier on this week we had the the drone attack against the the UAE um, uh, from the Houthis in uh, in uh, in Yemen, and again, is that another piece to consider? Because we we saw we know the Iranian drones are drones are proliferant, and we know they're accurate. And there's a naivety out there, I think, that some people need to accept: is these things are deadly, these things are lethal, and we know they are. So don't pretend they're not. You know, we, the, quite often some of the comments are saying, "Oh, it's all CGI or it's all, it's it, it's 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 um, all faked." But we've seen evidence of these drones, and we know they they can do what they can do. So we saw UAE earlier on this week um, is ta- targeting the 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 oil um, the oil depot in that respect. Uh, we obviously heard the news yesterday. There was mumbles of it earlier on in the week, but it got. I guess in quotations leaked or announced or reported on uh, um, yesterday about FAD having its first uh, operational usage um, and it uh, intercepted the the more uh, the medium range ballistic missiles launched and then but that also plays part for for the whole Israel Iran piece because we know Israel are obviously tied in with the US in that respect you know their allies um, FAD again was tested in israel in respect and integrating into the israeli radar network in in 2019 some people still believe it's still deployed there as a precautionary measure measure others say it got removed again depending on what media source or or influence you want to believe you'll either believe one or the other um so they'll obviously have a key interest in how on, on how that reacts and then all these little things that are going on in the background all have a uh, sort of an influence on, on how things will, will change and we'll go back to the, the example for for the uh, the whole Israel going to strike Iran piece and you could talk for, for for a long time about that again depending on your political prowess or depend on what your view is on it but um, we talk about how you know suppose the strikes in Syria if Israel were to lose one jet and against um, Syrian air defense like they did in, in, in 2018 an example that would have an impact on their planning for iran because that's one less jet that they've got to consider one less offensive tool to consider and all these things play a part so 
decisions aren't made on a whim. It's always a risk mitigation, and it's a it's a risk versus reward um, scenario in, in these things. And every little decision has a potential impact. And I, you know, these things aren't going to happen overnight. And um, the Iran-Israel thing isn't going to be as a thing. Is the Iran-Israel conflict or how or war between wars or however you want to put it isn't going to just change on a whim. It's going to happen over a matter of time. And um, yeah, there's just it, there's always pieces to to be looking for. Apologies, I feel like I rambled there a wee bit. Um, <laughs> kind of slight lecture in that regards. No, that's good. That's good. Brilliant. Um, at this point, we've uh, we, we've kept technical on the leash for long enough, so um, I suppose we better move on to the, the, the sort of the ongoing topic of interest for the vast majority of our listeners, which is obviously uh, Ukraine and Russia. So technical over to you. Uh, when, when, when was our last? When was our last uh, episode? Um, so we can have an idea of what's happened. Three weeks ago now, to be fair. So, was it New Year's Day? Was it New Year's Day? Yes, it was. I distinctly remember it because <laughs> certain, certain members of us were uh, not not entirely sober for that podcast, especially <laughs> the fact that uh, I was just a few hours uh, uh, behind you guys on that. I guess I'm trying to think of what the major changes has been in the last three weeks. I guess the, the big one will be the, um, the movement of the Eastern Military District, right? I guess that's the uh, the big change over the last few weeks. Of the... I mean, I could I could just list what I have written down. Um, S four hundreds in Belarus. Um, this is this is moving back from most recent to to oldest, I believe, but. Um, uh, fighter jets from the Eastern Military District um, being deployed into Belarus. Um, additional traffic, um, including a lot of artillery systems moving into Belarus, especially um, just north of Kiev. Um, Iskander's, um, a lot of them, uh, including extra um, missiles and a, a, a number of launchers um, appearing in uh, Western Russia near Ukraine. Um uh, there was a train of Buck M1s, I believe, um, as well. There were a number of them with uh, associated support equipment. Um, Which is probably not something we were really expecting to see back near Ukraine after the uh, last in incident involving those particular missiles a few years ago. Yeah, but uh, would no. I, I would not like to be a commercial pilot uh, in Ukrainian airspace anytime in the near future. Mm. Um so there's there's that as well. Um, what else? Uh, additional movement of Western military district units. Um, so I believe it was... I'm forgetting which. There was a guards tank army um, that was moving, and I'm forgetting which one it was, that was moving a number of units in, um, including T-80s. It was a fairly frontline unit. Um, the 4th Guards Tank Division. Um, which is a frontline unit and definitely would be um, a, a sort of a spearhead if Russia were to move down towards Kiev. Um, and they uh, were, let me just double check where they were. Um, it was Nara Station in, um, oh, in Kaluga. Um, so that was south of Moscow. So it looked like they were moving out of... Um, uh, their holding areas because they're based right south of Moscow as well. Um, 
what else? Uh, there's the, honestly the list is a mile long of things that I was looking at. Um, oh, oh, and the Russians have sortied a very large portion of their navy. That that was that, yeah. was, that was a significantly um, major event that just happened, and it seems to be at the moment from at least what I can see. Though I I have not been able to double check um satellite imagery just due to you know a combination of clouds and and there hasn't been enough time to get correct satellite passes over the appropriate naval bases i want to take a look at but um i should get some good passes i think tomorrow sentinel does severmorsk um so we should be able to see um whether or not uh we actually have a number of ships that have sort of slipped their moorings and moved out to sea. Um, I really want to see the number of subs that have left. That's going to be a big one. Um, and I know Sentinel, at least open source Sentinel imagery, is um, sort of iffy on how well it can detect submarines just because of their size and you know the way they ride in the water. But um, I should be at least able to see a bit or general movement. Um, Oh, and the all the Russian amphibious landing ships that left the Baltic. I think that's the last big one that then transited the English Channel and are now heading towards uh, the Black Sea in Ukraine. Yeah, and and if we, I mean, going back to the um, the movement into Belarus, I mean, obviously Russia and Belarus both say they have um, exercises planned uh, from the tenth, I believe, to the twentieth of February. Um, and those exercises are mostly focused in the west, I believe, west of Belarus, near the Polish border, um, and also the Ukrainian border. So the kind of west and northwest and southwest and Belarus, uh, Belarusian borders. Um, but what's interesting about a lot of the equipment that's moved into Belarus and where it's been spotted is it's nowhere near where they've said the exercises are going to happen. Yeah. So obviously they said the exercises are happening in the west. Um, a lot of um, what looks like temporary uh, vehicle vehicle stores and the vehicle camps uh, are being set up in the east like on the russian border um which without looking at a map i couldn't tell you how many kilometers that is away from where they said they're going to be exercising um but it's a it's a long way um and it makes absolutely no sense for them to say move because a lot of them have come from i mean a lot, a lot of these uh vehicles have come from I mean, no exaggeration, like near enough the North Korean border in, in the east of Russia. So they, they've traveled, you know, four or five thousand kilometers to Belarus um, and then been unloaded, which would make no sense um, to unload them later if the final destination was, you know, the west. So the fact that they're being unloaded in the east makes me seem like that is their, uh, their final destination, at least for the time being, which, you know, as I said, is, is nowhere near um, any planned exercise sites at the moment. So obviously there are a lot of vehicles and, and equipment popping up where the exercises are happening. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure there are actual exercises planned. I don't think that's, you know, a, a lie as such. Um, yeah, the, the far more concerning thing is is the amount of uh, troops and, and equipment that's turning up where it shouldn't be, shall we say, <laughs> like the way it's, where it's not expected to be. Yeah, and I think it's something that we've focused on in the past that I think was present during the last build-up um, in the spring of last year. But that was sort of smaller 
it's really expensive to do what they're doing right now. It, it is not a cheap endeavor, um, especially once they start moving or they have started moving aircraft and other um, uh, fairly difficult things to move. Like, uh, again, you know, um, uh, the Iskanders and a lot of the larger stuff they're moving. Um, it, again, it, it's it just it isn't a ch cheap endeavor for them. Um they, I, I think Putin expects a return on his investment here. Um, I, I wouldn't give Putin credit for being a, you know, a stupid individual. He, you know, as much as he's objectively an evil person, and you know, I, I don't think that take will ever sour. Um, he, he's not stupid. Um, you, you know, I, I expect that he's looking to get something out of this, and whether it not be that, you know, uh, breaking NATO or causing issues within nato i think he's you know gotten that done pretty well um you know obviously there's there's currently a schism on supplying support for ukraine with germany anchoring one side of it and um well a, a fairly large portion of nato on the other side willing to supply ukraine with um various arms and and defensive measures but i mean at this point i think um at least with the whole German issue, he's gotten some of what he's want. He has driven a fairly significant wedge into NATO. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, there are two things. He could take that as a win or he could, you know, push the advantage he already has and make that wedge larger and potentially, you know, cause even deeper schisms between Germany and the rest of NATO. Yeah, and I think that is, um, it's something we discussed um, a good few episodes ago would be the kind of... Um kind of split in nato wouldn't it? And, I, and i believe uh it's we discussed um discussed it in regards to fuel prices at the time um which obviously you know it's it's, it's not quite come to that i mean obviously um the Nord Stream 2 is is a big part of why Ru um, not russia why germany is hesitant should we say to to be too aggressive um against russia at the moment um but yeah, and and I think like as we said, you know, a couple of episodes ago, the the, the countries which are being, um, I don't want to say aggressive because you know it's not aggression, but being more um, like resistant, I guess, or yeah, they they they're kind of not backing down um, from from you know Russia's aggression. So we say um, are the like the Baltic states um, and Poland and. Um, of course, then we've got like the UK and the US who are who are supplying weapons, um, but yeah, it's it's the countries who are on the Russian border, as expected, are the ones that are far more concerned over Russians' actions at the moment, as, as obviously they're the ones who are, you know, they will they'll they'll say you know any any war in in Ukraine will directly or indirectly affect um, the Baltic states and it'll you know affect Poland because, as the Ukrainian president said yesterday. Um, you know, there'll be a, a huge refugee crisis mm. if, if if Russia invade. Um, you know, like hundreds of you know, Ukraine is is a very very large country. Um, I'm not sure what the population is. Uh, I'm just going to quickly Google it. Uh, 44 million, should we say? It's a, it's a country of 44 million people. Um, and you know, a, a conventional war between Russia and Ukraine will be absolutely devastating. You know, entire cities, entire towns will be. You know, raised. You know, they'll, they'll they'll be you know unlivable for a lot of people. So you know, we could theoretically see in the event of a war, you know, like millions of refugees trying to flee the country or at least being internally displaced, um, and that will have a, a massive, massive issue 
on on the Baltic states and and like Eastern Europe in general. Um, and again, fully expect Russia to to take advantage of that as they did, you know, they do with like the current refugee situations from from the Middle East. You know, Russia absolutely um, benefits from from the chaos that they cause in in Syria. Uh, so it's 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 definitely um, you, you know you can see why. And you know the Baltic states in general are are, are very keen to provide um, lethal aid to the Ukraine, where you know countries like, like Germany are less uh, less keen, should we say? Yeah, and that that is certainly an element. I mean, if you look at the actual supplies the Baltic states are sending, though, I I mean, it's you know it, it's for them it's not minor, but it's still in the grand scheme of things, the aid's mm -hmm. pretty minor. Um, the UK um, has sent a, a, a number of what shoot. That's the one other thing I miss. The UK sending a bunch of weapon systems. There's honestly been a lot over the past few weeks, um, but that that was certainly a large amount of aid. And again, with that aid, it's more aimed at not allowing Ukraine to decisively repel a Russian invasion, but make it a lot more costly um, by supplying them with you know fairly advanced weapon systems. Um, they're able to exact a higher toll on any sort of Russian action, um, especially, you know, damaging and destroying Russian equipment um, mm -hmm. would certainly cause them a lot of issues, um, especially just with the amount that they're potentially going to be sort of throwing into uh, Ukraine. Yeah, and and I think that's Ukraine's best hope is, I mean, I don't think anyone here believes, or I don't think anyone really believes that in the event of a full Russian invasion, that Ukraine will be able to um, repel it, so to speak. It, it is, like I said, it's going to be a, a case of trying to do as much damage to Russia as possible, as quickly as possible, mm. to make it unfeasible for them to, you know, continue their their offensive. Um, and it's fair to say that the, the weapons that Britain is supplying are mainly to create effectively a, a delaying action to, to allow mm -hmm. Ukraine to drag it out so that NATO can then look at the options it's faced with at that point and decide whether or not it wants to act. Um, I mean, I think it's fair to say most of the weapons that the, the, the RAF has flown in and in the last few days have been uh, anti-armour or anti-tank weapons. Um, and ultimately, you know, the, the Russians, we, we've seen quite a lot of armoured vehicles being moved on trains across Russia over the last month and a half. Um, as, as you mentioned earlier, TikTok has been a uh, uh, just an incredible source of video footage of these massive train loads of military gear being moved towards Ukraine. Um, mm -hmm. And I suspect... It's been wild for this stuff. Like, I... I, I Ukraine's not in my area, but like every video that I see going around is, is TikTok related. I think, I mean, it's mental. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, you know, we, we all talk about using things like Instagram and Snapchat and all these, but TikTok and, and in this, in quotation, and it's not a conflict, right? But it's it's looking at the the bigger picture. It's it's just been non-stop videos from that from that application, which I I don't know whether I'm surprised by or not. And the Russians are forcing me to use TikTok, and I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, it's. Yeah. I, I, I'm not. I'm not a TikTok user because again, the areas that I focus at are mostly, uh, are, oddly enough, it's Snapchat and and Instagram and and actually Twitter. To be fair, a lot of stuff's always on on those or Telegram as well. But um, yeah, TikTok seems to have come into a league of its own in this area. 
seriously, oh. please go back to using Snapchat because the <laughs> built-in GIS functions and attached <laughs> data for uh, location was great. And now, now I don't have that anymore, and it's getting sort of depressing. Yeah, most of my day now is just Google tra translating where is this into Russian and posting it on TikTok videos because that's what, what my day consists of and hoping that random TikTok users, you know, tell me where they filmed this video. Um, but if you think about it, it makes a lot of sense why TikTok is the kind of lead in social media for, you know, these videos. It's because, I mean, primarily it's a video sharing social media, which there, there aren't a lot of, I mean, other than Snapchat. There aren't many which specifically, you know, the, the only white thing you can do is post videos and comment on them. I guess it's like a little mini YouTube, so to speak. That's the only thing you can really compare it with. Mm. Um, and, you know, people, I mean, like, again, like every single one of us, if we were out on a walk and a train went past with a ton of military equipment on it, I, I know for a fact I would, I'd film it, you know, and I'm sure most people would as well. They think, oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's not something I see very often. You know, you'd film it, you'd share it with your friends. You, and, you know, at the moment, what people are using um, is TikTok. So, you know, you could post it on TikTok um, and you'll caption it. I don't know. I, I'm trying to think what the most common captions I, I search up, but it's normally just, you know, military equipment or... Um, like the English word is echelon, which I guess is a convoy, like is a similar word, it's kind of like a similar word as yeah, convoy. Um, and another common one is they all seem to use the same two songs or two or three songs, which are by different different singers or different bands, but the song is always like some variation on war or warfare or something like that. So just searching those songs, you find, you know, videos of... Um, I find Ukrainian soldiers showing off their military ID, which seems like a terrible idea. But they, you know, they film themselves in training and filming their military ID and filming their weapons and stuff. So you know, it's you know, it's 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 you know, it's kids, isn't it? A lot of the time, you know, like eighteen to twenty-year-old kids who are you know being conscripted into the military and they they're having fun and they're posting on 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 TikTok. And we know from Russia in you know twenty fourteen and twenty fifteen, um, I believe it was a great great Vice documentary. I believe it was called. Uh, uh, selfie soldiers or something like that in which you know you could they pretty much tracked like um a few russian soldiers from their barracks into ukraine to being killed in ukraine simply by the selfies they were posting on social media um <clears throat> so obviously you know the uh russian opsec at the time wasn't fantastic um and obviously you know most well, this of time it them. seems to be much better um yeah Good well, lord, I, I have seen nothing coming from Russian service members, like, at all. No, and if they are, they're normally um, reservists, from what I've seen. Any, anyone kind of talking about going to training or being called up or anything like that, 99% of the time I've seen it, it's been reservists who probably don't have the same level of um, obstacle awareness, shall we say. And, and who was it? Uh, the CIT team who um, uh, was contacting families of uh military uh service members um and they were revealing a lot more than we were seeing uh the actual service members themselves revealing especially um uh they were talking about uh let me just see if i can find the exact tweet there yeah um being sent away potentially for multiple months um on you know quote unquote business um, yeah, which it was there not was there not one about six months or something like that I think I saw going around six, six to nine six months, to nine months yeah yeah I think yeah. it was so, either six to nine or three to nine, um, yeah but that that's certainly tells you about what they were expecting. Yeah, I saw what I don't I don't know if it was a CIT team or if it was um, another uh, I think it was a journalist 
um, who again was kind of reaching out to like family members, and I think one was, I think again it's all hearsay, should we say, you know, I, I guess. <clears throat> um, but they were like, oh no, it's not exercises. They, you know, they, my husband's going to Ukraine. Um, you know, they they just openly said that. Uh, and again, you know, it, it's pretty damning if you look at it on its own. But again, it's yeah. it's not. Confirmed, it's an, it's you know, a... Because there's, there's no war. Well, there is war, obviously, in the east. But the, you know, Russia haven't. No, Russia have invaded. I'm trying to... <laughs> they haven't invaded again. They haven't invaded again since uh, 2014, 2015, yet. Um, but it looks like you know, if you, you you take everything that's happening, it's it looks like it's 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 going to happen pretty soon. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that one. Quite, I think it's uh, again, please correct me if I'm wrong, but it was a, a wife or, or girlfriend or whatever making that comment that they they're going to Ukraine. Again, it's this interpretation and understanding thing, isn't it? In regards to, is that her just saying because she she believes that or she wants that because that's that's what their expectation is, or or they have or have they actually been told that? And again, this is yeah. this you know it comes back to where we talk about in, you know interpretation and understanding and things that get lost in translation. This is that's a a prime example of where something can get lost because it's just her, you know. It, it, it's an interesting one and it's 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 that whole thing around how people talk and how people um make comments and 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 so on and so forth yeah, yeah and it has, million... oh go ahead i was gonna say it's got real parallels to the last time when russia moved into ukraine again in, in 1415 of um i was reading an article by it was a it was russian media um it wasn't like state media it was like i guess quote unquote free media in russia um who were in um, Eastern Ukraine visiting hospitals at the time when like, the war was in full swing, and they were talking to um, Russian soldiers or what you know who would claim to be Russian soldiers. Um, and this article was saying like you know they spoke to these soldiers and they were told, um, and and these soldiers were quite forthcoming again with information like you know like wives and girlfriends have been this time, um, and they were like oh yeah I'm I'm from this unit I'm from this city we were told we were going on exercises and then we got to the border and we were told to cross into Ukraine, so you know it's. A lot. They were very open about um, what well, individual soldiers were, should we say, um, were very open about um, you know, their orders back in 1415. So you know the fact that maybe um, you know like wives and girlfriends do know now. You know a lot of people. You know you you talk to your partner, don't you? A lot of time. If you if you if you get told you're going to Ukraine to fight a war, you know I I mean I would tell my partner 100. <laughs> percent um, you know, I might trust her not to say anything to anyone else, but you know, it doesn't always work that way. Uh, but yeah, you, you, I think the way things look in, and like you know, if I had to make a guess, that you know, Russia would make a move in the next two to three weeks, possibly, based on how things are looking. You, you have to think maybe then, you know, soldiers which might have been kept in the dark up until this point might now be starting to get told exactly what's going to happen, and you know, in the coming days weeks and, and potentially months i think if you're a soldier in the, in the in the russian military at the moment you'd be naive not to think it's a possibility i think that's the key thing right you know it's hmm. there there was at the beginning at the beginning of all this again in quotations the beginning of all this that this in this round in the recent year you know some some may have been of the opinion that it is purely going to be for an exercise you know and, and but as the the convoys move i think you you would have to be naive not to consider that it may be more than that in that regards and, and i think a very telling sign is that despite the diplomatic talks that the us and russia have had over the last week or so 
we are seeing, of course, this evening the US telling its diplomatic staff in Ukraine to be prepared to leave on Monday. Um, obviously, we're, we're recording this on, on Saturday evening, so it, sort of 48 hours from now, we could potentially be seeing the entirety of the diplomatic staff that the US has in Ukraine either on their way out or at the very least packing their bags to leave. Um, to be fair, I did say it was their families. It didn't say that the staff, you know, it wasn't direct staff at this time, was it not? Or did I misinterpret that? Just as a, uh, I think it was just. Let me double check. Um, let me Germany see here. Definitely and again, families. well, Germany said families, and then they denied it. Um, oh. Most recent reporting is that it was fa it, uh, it was an actual correction. It started as a rumor a few days ago. Um, and now it's actually that the State Department has ordered um, the families to begin evacuating as soon as Monday. So it's just yes. families right now. Right. Um, yeah. I know I, there were... I mean, that can change quick, right? Like mm -hmm. like uh, John's just said there, you know, we're recording this on, on, on the Saturday. By Monday, it could be completely different. It may be family and, you know, and staff. It's, I mean, it takes it's longer a, to move families than to move staff members. Yeah, exactly. And it's a fluid, it's a fluid situation in that regard so doesn't matter what we're saying now in five minutes we could be still recording and it could be something completely different again yeah and it's, it's worth remembering that when the u.s began evacuating diplomatic families and staff from afghanistan in august last year things went from being just the families to being get everyone out in the space of what 24 48 hours um obviously that situation spiraled out of control very 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 quickly for, for the u.s and that was rapid that was yeah that minute, changed very quickly really to say that the same won't happen now i mean russia has what 120,000 troops in place now around sort of the outskirts of ukraine um how you know could could we potentially see russian troops marching into ukraine monday morning who knows mm-hmm Um, in terms of the family, I think that's another, I mean, I've always, again, things are looking very, very likely to actually kind of, you know, um, Russian uh, incursion into Ukraine is looking very likely. Um, but I was always kind of having this, I guess I call it hope, I suppose, that it was, you know, it's it's been a bluff this whole time and, you know, they're, they're going to back down. Um, obviously, the negotiations falling through um, kind of reduced that hope uh, a significant amount. Um, because, you know, with the negotiations falling through, then, you know, Russia can't really back down without looking weak, I guess. Um, and now the evacuation of, of uh, embassy, you know, embassy personnel's families, I mean, that's not a small thing to suddenly have to do. I mean, I, I don't know how many uh, embassy staff there are in Ukraine. Um, I can't even figure a ballpark figure, but you, you have to assume there's probably going to be, um, you know, maybe triple digits of people they're going to have to evacuate from the country um, in, in a new week. It's, it's not a small thing to suddenly have to do, and it's not a cheap thing to do. And the fact that, you, you know, the US are doing it, um, you know, I, I know, you know, the US have been very vocal about saying that. You know they believe russia can invade in a week or in 10 days or in two weeks or what you know they've been very vocal about that um but the fact that they've now gone from words to like 
action which means like oh you know they're not just saying this they do genuinely believe that there is a risk and pulling like families of of you know like embassy personnel out that is far more concerning to me than any any kind of statement they've made it's, it's interesting what you say about you, you can't back down and you know and looking weak and again this is me just putting my other side of my my hat on in that regard to so just look at the try and understand the full picture again this is not again as i say my area of of knowledge but it's he's successfully he's currently successfully making nato not look proactive and more reactive to me if i'm looking at it from an outsider point of view in that respect is that not a success and that's not weakness to be able to show you know he doesn't have to do he literally didn't have to do anything they just moved equipment and it and it's done it's had this reaction it's not been proactive it's been reactive so if something was to actually happen you know if he bluffed if he called his bluff and made nato respond like this or not respond like this in that case if something was to happen in the future he now knows how things will look yeah, that's a good point. Um, but I guess the counterpoint to that is, you know, Ukraine is a non-NATO country, so you know the NATO mm-hmm. aren't indirectly got obligation to to protect Ukraine. Um, no, that's fair. If this build-up was on, um, again, just looking at a map, if it was on the Latvian or the or the Estonian border, border, um, and Germany was acting like this again, and other nations were quite sluggish to respond to send arms to Latvia or Estonia or or any other kind of, um, I believe they're the only two NATO countries actually with a border of, of Russia or not. I'm just looking. Uh, uh, don't actually have a border. They don't have a border with Russia. They have a border of Belarus. Um, which, again, you know, with the Russian troops in Belarus, that, I guess, yeah, you, you can put Lithuania into that. Um, and I'm actually, no, yeah, yeah, I forgot about Kaliningrad. Um, yeah, does have a border, <laughs> border with Lithuania. Um, yeah, so any of the Baltic states, really, um, and you know, and it, there was this divide in NATO countries. Then, yeah, I would absolutely say that this could be um, a win for Russia, just you know, from the from the issues they've caused. But again, with Ukraine being a non-NATO state, um, and you know, NATO having again no obligation to defend them, I, I guess it's. Your yeah, point, your point, your point's fair on the NATO. I guess that's something that I overlooked, in, you know, in that regard. And it's right; they're not, they're not obligated. Again, I'm just, just putting things out there. It's just thought pattern of, you know, does, would, would if Putin decided to, to, to back down in quotations, would that be shown as a sign of weakness? I don't know. I, again, again, I, again, it will come, it will come down to your political opinion, right? Because I guarantee yeah. you, people out there will. And we can all probably think of, again, allude to Twitter accounts who will say it was a great success because boots trembled in that regard. Um, yeah, no, it's just a just a thought. But no, I see your point around the NATO piece, so that 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 makes sense in in my head. So yeah. Yeah, and and in regards to the negotiations, the fact that um, where, where did they want NATO troops troops removed from? It was Romania and Bulgaria. And... Um, Bulgaria, yeah, which again, completely ridiculous demand because I mean, does that mean they want Romania and Bulgaria to remove their own troops from Romania or Bulgaria if they are NATO forces? Um, and it was never going to be agreed upon. And again, that's another. Um, I, I, if I had to say, like the most concerning things again are, are now the evacuation of diplomats' families. 
um, and just the absolutely ridiculous demands that Russia are making because you know Russia, you know, Russia and Putin and um, you know the, the defense ministers—they're not stupid. They know these demands aren't going to be met, um, and the fact that they said before you know the negotiations have started, they, you know they they said that you know the demands they're putting forward—they're not like a menu you can pick and choose from. Like you either reject them all or you accept them all. Like you know they knew that they were going to be rejected, and it almost seems to me like they're kind of setting up for. For a domestic audience, like, okay, well, look, we tried to negotiate with NATO. We made, you know, in our eyes, very reasonable demands. They've, you know, tore it up. They've got, they've got no, you know, they've got no intention of of negotiating with us. They're trying to, you know, they're trying to expand. They're trying to bring Ukraine in. You know, they they, they almost seems to be like they they work it up towards justifying the, um, you know, like a, an actual military incursion into Ukraine. Um, and as for like the Monday timeline that they said, you know, as soon as Monday for evacuating uh, uh, families, I believe isn't it Monday that the US are planning to submit their written response to Russia on the demands? It is supposed which... to be sometime next week. I don't know if it was Monday specifically, but they did say next week their written. Yeah, I believe response. they said maybe. I think they said early next week, didn't they? So I, I mean, I, I'm taking that maybe maybe of Monday, um, and the fact that you know the. You know they're going to pull diplomats out, uh, diplomats' families out ahead of this response. Probably tells us what the response is going to be, um, and it's not going to be one that Russia are going to like. So I think they're pulling these families out in in the, God, I can't speak this afternoon in anticipation of Russia's response to the U.S.'s response. Yeah, there's always the 900-pound gorilla sort of sitting in the side of the room, and that's the gas issue. Um, mm. That's, I mean, if we want to be honest, that's the main reason Germany is being so, um, what's the right word for it? Uh, Not belligerent, um, but, uh, uh, being cagey, yeah, cagey, non-committal. Um, but, but again, you know, in in that sense, right, it, it, they're thinking for number one and number one in their mind is themselves. Yeah. You know, well, and, and the other issue is, is that if, because the nature of how the Russians have been regulating their gas output and and their gas exports this year, Europe is already looking at the lowest gas reserves they've had at any point for this point in time in history. Um, so they they're low on their gas reserves current, or not low, but low for the time. Um, and there is the threat if Russia cuts off gas supplies that they'll have to go to gas rationing. Um, the, the, again, natural gas heating is super, uh, popular there. Germany has moved over the past, you know, 10 years to cut off nuclear power. So they're very reliant on natural gas as a power generating method. Um, so again, Germany is looking at this as if they have their gas supply shut off, they will have to deal with, you know, um, massive amounts of gas rationing, potential blackouts, um, just severe damage to their, you know, economy. Um, and they sort of have to balance this with whether or not they're actually going to go to bat for Ukraine as as a country. Um, and if the difference is, in their mind, basically, Ukraine will be overrun no matter what, and we don't want Russia to retaliate against us, so why would we help Ukraine? I, I, it, I It's not that I agree with this, it's that, you know this is sort of their calculus that I believe they're trying to put together right now. Um, it's back to what I said earlier on with risk versus reward. 
and it's also about make you know looking out for number one and you know it's it's damned if you do and damned if you don't ultimately yeah for them you know they they can't do right or wrong because the right or wrong depending on your views will be the right or the wrong and the dilemma yeah. that they also face is that ultimately even if they do stay out of it and and and, and appease russia in that regard there's nothing to say that further down the line, Russia won't still turn around and cut off their supply of gas anyway. Because, yeah. you know, at the end of no, the day, exactly. what we've seen in the last few months is that Russia will do and say what it has to do and say in order to suit its own needs and its own requirements. And it, it, it was, for a while, it was, it was making all these stories about uh, plans for big exercises, and that was why there were so many troops massing near Ukraine and it's become obviously very apparent to everyone that that's not in fact the reason behind it all um we've now got the claims of the the, the planned exercises in belarus and, and as kyle said earlier the, the the equipment that has been moved into belarus supposedly for this doesn't seem to make any sense because it's in all the wrong places mm -hmm. and going back to um germany as well like i, I fully understand again like, like david said they're looking out for themselves um, but in that case, you know, they could just they could just not provide weapons. You know, the fact that they're actively blocking other countries from sending arms. I believe it was Estonia. They blocked Estonia from mm. sending lethal aid to Ukraine. L that's what I don't understand. I mean, again, okay, Germany look out for themselves. They're just going to stay out of it. Like we're not going to provide arms. We provide as we are providing a field hospital, I believe. And if they were like, okay, we'll provide a field hospital. We'll provide medical equipment. We'll provide. I don't know. I, I like. I think like NATO will help with like cyber security and stuff like that. Yeah, you know, against like cyber attacks. I, fine. You know, I, I'm not going to say I necessarily agree with it, but that, that would be absolutely acceptable, I believe, and I, I believe that would be acceptable to Ukraine as well. Um, but the fact that they're going out of their way to block the transfer of arms from other European countries is is what I don't understand. I mean, at that point, they you know they they go in from almost like a neutral party to almost like actively working against um what did they what did they Ukraine. block what did they actually um, block i wasn't I, again I not my area so i don't know so i'm going to ask the stupid questions but what did they block i think it was i mean it's not stupid say i'm not sure exactly yeah i think it was, um, I think it was a um it was it. soviet made howitzers which over the course of the last 20 30 years have gone from soviet union to finland to germany to estonia and then Estonia's turned around and sort of politely asked Germany, do you mind if we give these to Ukraine? And Germany's turned around and said no. Well, they're saying no to offensive stuff rather than defensive. Yeah, so, so I found an article um, here from the Financial Times, um, which is, this, so this was the last time I remember it happening. This was a, um, a this was last month, so this was in December. Um, when NATO, of all things, they vetoed um, Ukraine's purchase of anti-drone rifles, um, which, again, are completely non-lethal um, and purely defensive. Um, and I believe Russia, uh, Germany did lend back down on that and allowed the purchase of anti-drone rifles. Um, but they then also vetoed um, anti-sniper systems. Um, I believe they referred, they said that was a, um, it was lethal aid. Um, which I didn't understand at the time, but I believe it was the fact that these systems would help um, detect where a sniper had fired from, and I guess the implication was when you could find that sniper and kill them. 
Um, so I think that was what Rush Germany was unhappy with with that. Um, I'm trying to find what the most recent... Again, this is an article from December, so it's not going to be the most recent one. Um... Yeah, I'm just I'm 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 just trying to understand. You know, again, like I, yeah, I so it's D30 howitzers. Yeah, um, so yeah, Estonian D30 howitzers, which you know they're not a game changer. They are, I mean, how old? I mean, are they sixties D30, or is it a little bit later than that? Um, like weaponry, I'm just going to Google that. It's, yeah, so um, Germany yeah, 19- will Germany will claim it's uh, it's offensive rather than defensive. That would be their get out of jail in quotations mm. free card in free card. That that's what they're that's what they're hoping for there in that regards, isn't it? You know, we stopped of, we stopped well. offensive stuff going in. It's worth mentioning. Yeah. Well, Kyle, you 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 were saying about the um the the military field hospital that Germany is mm. sending. That was actually agreed back in 2021. Um, oh, okay. The, the the hospital was actually due to have been delivered last year, but for whatever reason there was some sort of delay to it, and the delivery has now only been sort of confirmed in the last couple of days. Um, so it's not even like Germany is sending them any new sort of ability to deal with casualties in that regard. It's not like it's a a new decision to send a field hospital. This is something that's actually been in planning for a while, and it's it's more that with the delays, possibly because of COVID nineteen or whatever, um, now Ukraine has sort of said we we really need this equipment you promised us, and Germany yeah. is kind of actually getting its you know getting its boots on and, and, and getting that kit to them. Yeah, no, that is interesting. I didn't know it was. Um agreed last year but again i'm not surprised um yeah again it's it's the the vetoing of other countries providing arms which i can't get my head around again if if germany doesn't want to provide arms they they don't have to provide arms like i said um earlier you know ukraine's a non-nato country no one's obligated to, to to help ukraine um but i mean stopping i mean stopping um, country, especially like Baltic states, which are, I mean, semi-threatened, but I mean semi-regularly threatened by Russia themselves. You know, I mean, you know, like, um, I believe it was in the last few weeks or maybe the last couple of months there was a, quite a senior Russian politician which referred to um, the Baltic states as suburbs of Saint Petersburg, which you know tells you everything you need to know about how you know like russian officials view these countries mm. um you know a lot of ex-soviet states they don't view as as independent entities they view them as um i guess almost how china views taiwan as as you know they, you know eventually they will be back to being russian and, and taiwan will eventually be back to being chinese they just view it as like a temporary um a temporary independence should we say um so it's it's Really, really frustrating that you know that that Germany is blocking blocking aid, um, but I mean, I I don't know what aid would actually help Ukraine in any kind of invasion. I mean, you know, like how it says a great um, and you know anti tank systems, um, you know, fantastic. But like like we discussed earlier, they, they're going to do. They're going to slow Russia down. They're not going to stop an invasion, are they? Like what Ukraine needs are, I mean, um, like advanced air defense systems and um, 
I, I mean, again, I'm not I'm not an expert. I don't know what else we need. But for, for one, like air defense systems, I know they're being sent. Um, I believe, again, is it the Baltic states which are sending stingers along yeah. with javelins? Um, I mean, I don't want to be blunt, but I don't think there's a realistic way that you can give Ukraine enough aid so Ukraine alone can defeat Russia. Oh, I, just, no. I don't think that's possible um, at this point in time. Like, maybe if you were to do, like, a five- or ten-year plan, maybe... Um, there's a possibility that they'd be able to put up enough resistance to make a Russian invasion difficult enough to be practically impossible, but not at this point. No, there's, there's nothing. There's just, I mean, I, I mean, if you just look at the, I mean, at the moment, Ukraine are surrounded on, I mean, one, two, three, four, I mean, maybe five different fronts by Russian troops. I mean, I don't think there's a country on the planet that could withstand that. I mean, outside maybe the US, but I mean, even if the US were surrounded on five fronts by Russian troops who were poised to invade at any minute, you know, I, I think anyone's going to struggle <laughs> against that, you know, it's, and let alone a country which has been stuck in the middle of a civil war for the last eight years. Um, I mean, I say, I mean, civil war slash Russian invasion for the last eight years. Um, it's... It's, it's very difficult, um, and, and just to slightly touch on on the war in the Donbas region as well. It's it's been really really quiet since the new year. Um, there was a lot of focus on it. Yeah, there was a lot of focus on it um, in the build up to Christmas and the new year. There was quite heavy fighting through November through December, um, and then the new year happened, and and um, it, it's been it's been it's been fighting. Don't get me wrong, but. Not to the level at all as what as what it was, and even the Ukrainian MOD are reporting, you know, two three days at a time, like in a row of just absolutely no ceasefire violations, which was completely unheard of prior to Christmas. Um, and again, I thought a lot of it was maybe due because obviously the Russian um, Eastern Orthodox Christmas is is um, a couple of weeks after, I guess, like the the, the Western Catholic Protestant Christmas. Um, <clears throat> I believe it's January twelfth maybe January 12th or along those, those lines. So I was kind of thinking maybe, you know, it was kind of a lull in in, in their holiday period. Um, but it just, it, it hasn't increased again. I mean, it's just, it's gone from, you, you know, the OSCE who are monitoring a ceasefire in Eastern Ukraine to, to report in you know, eight and 900, maybe over a thousand ceasefire violations, um, which, you know, I should say they, they report every gunshot, every explosion, every boost of gunfire is one violation whereas i think the ukrainian mod report every um i mean i, I think if, if they get hit by 15 mortars and someone fires an rpg at them they'll count that as one ceasefire violation whereas the oc OSE will report that as you know 16 or 17 um so you know when when i, when I say they report like a thousand ceasefire violations that just means to you know it, it's not necessarily um uh, it's, it's not necessarily saying there's like very very heavy fighting, um, but just you know it's 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 um, like prolonged, shall we say? Mm. Um, but yeah, so like the OC, not only are now Ukraine, like I said, reporting um, reporting like you know days and days of of no ceasefire violations. I believe today was another one in which they said there was absolutely none. Um, but the OSE are now reporting maybe, you know, 100, 150, maybe 200 violations, which 
you know, it, you can say it's almost like a an eighty percent decrease in in what it was before Christmas. Um, the one thing I guess, I think there's been three Ukrainian soldiers killed this year so far. Um, obviously, all this month, you know, it's still January, um, <clears throat> and and I think um, last year, like January was quite. I think there's quite a significant amount of Ukrainian soldiers killed in January last year. Mm. Um, I, I know definitely they said um, between January and April um, there was maybe 50, 50 or 60 soldiers killed um, and that was more than like the entire previous year put together. So the fighting in the East has decreased um, and the reason for that, I mean, I've, I, is as much my guess as anyone else's. I mean, I, I, I'm personally of the belief that maybe the Ukrainian armed forces are well, yeah, there's that. Or I think Ukraine are just trying not to do anything that might provoke a large, um, you know, like bout of fighting. So I think Ukrainian forces might be, in a way, letting certain things go um, and not responding to them to kind of stop an escalation. Because, again, this is something that Russia have talked about. They've said, like, you know, any significant escalation, any significant kind of anything that looks like Ukraine are planning an offensive in, in the Donbass region would be a red line for them. So I think they're trying to almost take that excuse away from Ukraine, uh, from Russia, sorry. So if and when Russia do invade, they've got no justification for it um, in, in, in some respect. Um, you know, like, you know, Russia always say that you know, the Russian speakers are being um, oppressed in the East. Um, I believe Putin recently, um, I think I've probably mentioned it on another podcast, he said it was um, close to a genocide of Russian speakers or Russian, uh, Russian non-Russian nationals, like ethnic Russians, um, which of course is absolutely ridiculous. But um, yeah, the language that they use, obviously they, they're trying to <clears throat> say that Ukraine are being the aggressor in the East. And you know maybe they will use that as a, an excuse to kind of move in and and uh, protect ethnic Russians, um, which of course is um, in the last couple of days the Russian Communist Party um, put forward the motion to recognise the separatist regions and the DNR and the LNR in Ukraine. So obviously, if Russia does recognise these regions and then they officially ask for Russian assistance, then I mean, what can you do at that point? Um, but yeah, I don't know what you guys think about the um, possible recognition of the uh, of the breakaway states. It's, oh, it's, it's another political move ultimately to sell to the Russian people that Russia is doing the right thing, that it's that it's not the aggressor. It's it's effectively trying to give them justification to protect what it will then view as as sort of its own sovereign citizens. Um, kind of similarly in i guess in, in the way that argentina was very much of the opinion that um it was defending uh the falkland islands from british aggressors um because it it chose to recognize the falklands as part of its territory uh, I, I suppose that's kind of what russia's trying to do here it, it it's trying to recognize a, a part of ukraine as Russian territory and, 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 and therefore the citizens as Russian citizens in order to justify to its populace going in and, and, and fighting for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, again, something like that would... I mean, there are a couple of things that, you know, obviously it's a political move. 
um, by that party to A, get attention, and B, sort of change the calculus on how Russia would react to any potential Ukrainian um, offensives or um, actions against Russian separatists. It would sort of change it from, you know, a, more of a, a, a gray zone war to one where they're saying, you know, we're protecting an official ally and Ukraine has acted against them. It's our job to, you know, go out and protect them. But I mean, I think they're sort of already doing that. But I, I think that move specifically by that party was to force the Russians to, you know, support the separatists more actively and more publicly. Um, but but apart from that, again, Russian politics are are a whole different can of um, there's a lot of grandstanding. There's again, it's effectively, you know, your strongman oligopoly. Um, so there's it's Putin basically in charge and he has to make certain people happy. Mm-hmm. But um, most of the external action in Russia is mainly aimed at keeping his, you know, public approval up at this point. Just needs to put a photo of him on a bare topless, and his public opinion goes up. <laughs> yeah, the, the, I mean, you know, I know people will always say uh, polling in authoritarian regimes is flawed, but Putin does have a pretty high approval rating, even by independent pollsters, um, and, and even by independent polling agencies. There, he he does continue to hold a high rating. Um. And if you talk with Russians, I mean, talk to any Russian person and say, you know, how does your family like Putin? And most of them will agree, yeah, most of my family members, you know, approve of him and approve of what he does. Um, But and there also is the second reason that I I would be remiss not to say um, of why Putin wants to, you know, act against Ukraine is that he does have a genuine. Um sort of a a visceral fear of nato i mean a lot of putin's thinking comes from this you know early mid 1990s place where again putin was a cab driver and he views the fall of the soviet union as this frankly horrifying event that happened to russia um one that he doesn't want to see repeated and and one that he views nato as chiefly responsible for and the u.s by extension um I mean, it's funny you say so, he's a cab driver and not that, you know, he was a KGB agent as well. Think, well, oh, he, he, it, was, it was this this fall from being, you know, the, this KGB agent under, you know, the USSR to driving a cab. This is oh, something right, right, that right. personally hurt him in, in a significant manner. So it's just it's it's that, you know, personal damage to him caused by um, caused by the fall of the Soviet Union. And, yeah. um, the only one I can think of, maybe if we just quickly touch on the, uh, the latest ISIS attack in uh, Hasaka in, in northern Syria, which is, I believe, still ongoing. And um, obviously, Woofers on Twitter is, is, I think, everyone's best bet for following to get a latest update on what's going on there. But obviously, uh, ISIS have carried out quite a significant size attack against um, a prison holding, I believe it's around 5,000 ISIS prisoners in northern Syria. Um the latest death tolls, I think there's maybe 20-plus ISIS fighters killed, um, seven or eight Kurdish SDF fighters. Um, I believe there's a couple of civilians killed as well. And as of tonight, the U.S. have sent, was it Bradley's that mm-hmm. Wolf was saying? Yeah, um, yeah Bradley uh, yeah. vehicles into the city to, to help out the, uh, the Kurdish security forces. So, I mean, this is quite a significant event. It's been going on now the last three nights. Um, 
Um, again, I'm I'm pretty guilty. I, I like to think that you know, serious maybe my my secondary focus, but I'm I'm guilty of of neglecting it recently because of Ukraine. Um, but yeah, Woofers for sure is is I think everyone's best bet for following latest developments on that as it happens. Yeah, yeah and, and I've been sort of seeing that happen in the background. I know Woofers is the person to follow on issues like that. Um, just you know, he he is fairly on top of pretty much anything that happens in Syria. But um yeah, it's it's definitely a um it, it's definitely concerning to see sort of a, a degradation in the security situation there especially with ISIS. No, for sure. I mean, and it's impressive that they've they've still got the um the manpower in northern Syria to pull off an attack like this. I mean, when when it first happened, I thought it would be over by the first night. The fact that we're now three nights in and they are, you know, still fighting, still inflicting casualties is, is definitely um, concerning, to say the least. Yeah, and, and of course, John is uh, doesn't want to tell me, you know, out loud to end this quickly. But yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, it's just something to keep an eye on. Uh, just from my point of view, uh, thanks again for having me. And I was just to, 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 to say as well, uh, um, thanks to to Adam and, and Nish who also helped me on the account as well um, as I mentioned earlier on it is a team effort and without them the uh, it, w it wouldn't be possible to, to cover what we cover so thanks to those guys too yeah and and everything is a team effort isn't it um uh I don't know if I I need to get an award as well but you know we're, we're obviously watching what's happening um and we'd like to thank everyone for you know sticking with us for this long and sort of listening to what we say yeah, and with that, we will be back in around about two weeks' time um, for another episode of the podcast. Um, so thank you very much, everyone, for listening, and we will see you then.